If you're a founder, you know that fundraising is a big part of the job. What you might not know is that Carta is there to help. Carta's new fundraising suite provides startups of all stages the best tools and support to easily issue safes, accurately forecast solution, and quickly close funding rounds. Save time, money, and make your next round your best yet. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. Welcome to Inc.'s The Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel. I'm Alexa, the founder of LearnBest, author of New York Times bestselling book, Financially Fearless, and second book, Financially Forward. I'm also the founder and managing partner of Inspired Capital, a venture firm focused on the entrepreneurs of the future. Each week, we sit down with the top founder to share their story of guts, inspiration, and drive. This week, we have somebody I admire deeply, really excited to have Ben Horowitz on the show, co-founder and general partner of the venture firm Andreessen Horowitz. Ben has a ton of accomplishments in his career, both as an investor, an operator, and of course, an author. Prior to his move into venture, Ben was the co-founder and CEO of Opsware, which was acquired by HP for $1.6 billion. A tech industry vet, he served in key roles at AOL, Netscape, and he's, of course, the author of the New York Times bestselling book, The Hard Things About Hard Things, which I, of course, read and loved. And his latest book, which is just coming out soon, What You Do Is Who You Are. Let's welcome Ben. Hi, Ben. Hi, thank you very much for that lovely introduction. Well, we're so excited to have you. And I think we just wanted to quickly start with, um, Ben, you've had such a tremendous career. For those, I don't believe there's anybody out there who's just getting to meet you for the first time here. But for those who may not have a sense, you had a great quote that said, I want to build a firm that would be the firm I would want to work with. Can you just give us a quick mm -hmm. sense uh, about that founding narrative and, and what got you really excited to go do that? Yeah, so it was this interesting thing, which was, what it meant to be a technical founder and how that related to venture capital. So, you know, when I was a technical founder, the kind of the, the way that venture capital kind of expected to work was like, okay, you have this great invention and then take it as far as you can. And then we'll bring in a CEO. And that was like a lot of the functionality of the venture capital firms. And it always struck me, you know, as interesting because one, when you kind of looked historically at it from IBM to Hewlett Packard to Microsoft, and then kind of moving forward to like things like Facebook and Google, most of the really great companies had been kind of run by the inventor for a very long time. So it was just interesting to me that kind of venture capital wanted to replace the inventor. And then the other kind of thing about that was it was just kind of getting easier to learn the CEO job. So if you go kind of back to tandem computers, you had like, okay, to build tandem, you needed to have manufacturing and professional services and a big direct sales force all before you ever could even go to market. But then, you know, like when we were starting the firm, you had things like Twitter and it was like, okay, you need five people with laptops and then, you know, access to AWS and you were off to the races, you get in market and you could get like a hundred million users without really doing any more CEOsmanship. So we thought, you know, there was really kind of, now was the time to build a firm that would kind of help the technical founder through that journey. And it was a really difficult journey to learn to be a CEO and get all the capabilities that these fancy CEOs had. So we thought, you know, somebody ought to build that firm. And that was the original idea. 
Well, I love it. So you've bet on some now massive technology companies. You have some incredible companies mm-hmm. in your portfolio from Facebook to Slack to Airbnb and beyond. Given that you've been a founder, um, when you look mm-hmm. under the hood at a future entrepreneur that you're trying to figure out if you should bet on, what is the like one or two things that you're really looking for in that person specifically that you would yeah. say is that core gem that you want to see before you're going to back somebody? I would first say that like people are really different <laughs> um, and great founders come in many different flavors uh, in that, you know, like Stuart Butterfield isn't really anything like Todd McKinnon isn't really anything like Mark Zuckerberg. Like they're very kind of three different personalities, you know, types, et cetera. And that's just like all in one, like gender and race and so forth. So like when you get into it, you have to be a little careful about preconceptions. But the thing that they all have in common, I think the ones who are truly great is one, they're original thinkers, like original thinkers with conviction. So they kind of come in with an idea that we might not even like or understand, but it's definitely original. And then they got to it by some kind of unusual or difficult path. So like they, you know, people have been telling them the idea was bad all along and then they went in and they figured out somehow why like everybody was wrong. Like that's kind of the core thing I would say. And then, you know, if you could add something to that, it would be, you know, for lack of a better word, like kind of broadly leadership capabilities, meaning like I always ask myself, okay, would I want to go work for this company? Would I go want to work for this person? You know, and then there's a lot of things that go into leadership, as you know, but it's everything from integrity to articulation. You know, can you articulate the vision? Is it compelling? You know, is it motivating? You know, do you have the ability to kind of understand and uh, kind of motivate the people working for you? All these kinds of things. But those are, I would say, the common traits. Everything else tends to be kind of different, you know, depending on where they came from. That's wonderful. So essentially, original thinkers with conviction and true leadership of some kind that allows them to kind of scale all the way through. So I want to take a quick moment before we dig into your new book and just say, uh, given the backdrop of everything that's happening in venture, as you think about Andreessen Horowitz and you think about the future, is there anything that's really exciting to you right now that everybody that's listening should really hear just, again, given your great purview? Yeah, well, like I think that, um, you know, well, two of the most interesting areas are computational biology. So just the ability now to move from a chemical kind of model of the human body to a an informational one. And, you know, if you have an information model of biology, then you can start applying computer science techniques. And that just opens up worlds that like we never thought were possible before, including kind of this idea of engineered biology. So, you know, when we talk about drug discovery and it's like, well, why is it called discovery? Like when we make a bridge, we don't call it bridge discovery. You know, would we build like a thousand bridges and see which ones fall down and then keep the ones that didn't? And that's kind of how it is, you know, with drugs. And, um, but, you know, now that we have an information model, we can do things in a different way. We can actually engineer the drugs and get a much higher hit rate and be much more intentional. And that just means things are getting cured at a way, way, way faster rate than before. And also in a more safer and more personalized way. So that's probably, you know, that's one of the most exciting areas we're involved with. You know, I think the whole area of uh, cryptocurrency and blockchain is massively interesting, especially now because what it really does is it provides, you know, the technology to scale society. And, you know, we're having issues (laughs) with scale right now. 
And, you know, if you think about kind of historically, what are the technologies that help scale us to this point? And they've really been money and law. But our current forms of money and law are very subject to like severe corruption. And as well as they have scale issues, it's hard to scale them outside of like the country level. And that technology gives at least a promise of, you know, how do we get beyond that? How do we get to, to something where we can really coordinate the whole globe in a way that makes sense and is at least for the most part incorruptible? We could talk to you about that probably for the next three hours, but yeah. but I, I want to switch gears uh, a bit. But thank you so much for sharing those two categories. So you wrote the hard things about hard things. I actually gave the entire book to the Learn Best team right after we got acquired, just to remind people that you know just because you sold your company doesn't mean things get easier. And yeah. I loved it. And uh, there were so many quotes in there that truly are burned into my brain. I want to quickly just ask the question: You just decided to write a new book. Um, what made you mm-hmm. decide that, it, you know, a, a book in its own case is sort of an entrepreneurial chapter? What mm-hmm. made you decide to write this next book? And then we're going to dive into it. Yeah. So it's interesting because it's a very different book. And like part of the thing, I didn't really want to write the sequel to The Hard Thing About Hard Things because I felt like, but, you know, I said what I wanted to say. And there were some things I probably missed, but like not enough for a whole nother book. But the book did really well. And, you know, my publisher at HarperCollins, um, Hollis uh, Hembrick, who's great, was like, Ben, you got to write another book. You should write another book and so forth. Now I had this other set of ideas that I didn't think anybody would ever want to make into a book because, you know, about like, okay, why is the Haitian revolution the best story about how to build a company culture? And like, you know, um, what does prison culture have to do with corporate culture and all these things? But, you know, she really wanted me to write a book. So I was like, well, what about this book? And she was like, wow, that would be a great book. So, you know, that kind of, (laughs) catalyzed me into going, all right, well, like if people actually want to read that, then definitely I would like to do it. But, uh, you know, the the other thing that came up is just if you look at what's going on today in technology companies in particular, there's an awful lot of criticisms about, okay, what is the culture of Silicon Valley or companies and so forth? You know, and there's a lot of that in the conversation and some of it's warranted, but like none of the solutions make any sense to me, at least where, you know, people are going, oh, you know, like that founder is a bad person. And like, if you get rid of him, like then the culture will be something great. Or if, you know, if that founder had a liberal arts degree, then everything would be better. And it's like, like, what are you going to do with that? You're going to go back to college now, like you're running a hundred billion dollar company. Like, it's just absurd that there's no, like nobody has any, like, indication of what you should actually do to build an effective culture and maintain it and keep it going and change it when you need to. And it turns out it's really difficult because when you talk about culture, you're talking about how people behave when you're not there. And so like what makes somebody return a phone call or what makes them like show up to a meeting on time or what makes them work till eight or 5 p.m. You know, why do you stay at the Red Roof Inn or stay at the Four Seasons? Like all these things are your culture and how you get 20 people to do that, let alone a thousand or 10,000 to kind of behave the way you want them to behave when you're not watching. Like that's a really hard problem. And so like, yeah, it's easy to throw rocks at it, but it's very hard to do. 
So the name of the book is What You Do Is Who You Are. And mm-hmm. it has all sorts of great things, uh, you know, going through four models of company culture. I hear you very clearly mm-hmm. saying company culture is incredibly hard to build and there's no simple solution. And I, I think that's one of the things that you really like to always dig into is things that are not easy. I think you have <laughs> yeah. a, a real knack for that, Ben. One of the things I just want to start by asking is when would you say culture really is developed? When's the best time to cement a culture? Is it early seed? Is it series B? Is it later? I mean, how do you think about when's the right time to get it right? But how do you really think about that? And then we'll dive into the book. Yeah, well, that's a great question. Maybe it'll help if I go back one step and say, you know, the reason I call it what you do is who you are comes from the samurai, which says a culture is not a set of beliefs, it's a set of actions. And I think that you have to say, okay, what are these behaviors that are going to make the culture And I think day one is actually, quite honestly, a little early in that you kind of got to get to know your company and develop a strategy in order to have the right culture. Um, So just like, let me give you a simple example of that. So like every culture is not right for everybody. And it doesn't matter, like, you know, I'm cheap, so I want my company to be cheap. That's a dumb way to think about it. The right way to think about it is, okay, like, what are we trying to do as a company, what's our mission, and then what's the set of behaviors that support that? So for example, I don't know if Jeff Bezos is cheap, but Amazon is very cheap. Why are they cheap? Because they want to be the low price leader. And so they put a lot of stuff in the culture that keeps the behavior of every employee that way, you know, starting with early on, they had um, desks made out of doors, right? Like they just got like some old door and like put some two by fours on it and had a desk just to let everybody know, like we're cheap. Now, Apple, also a great company, they're far from cheap. In fact, like Steve Jobs was notorious for going over budget on everything and their new campuses cost like $5 billion and they've got like beautiful, gorgeous doorknobs and all that kind of thing. And, you know, because their thing isn't we're the cheapest, it's we're the like most beautifully designed, like we're trying to design the perfect product. And like, if you look at Apple's products, they're one more expensive than Amazon's and two, they're also like just much more beautiful than Amazon, than anything Amazon ever makes. And so that culture is right for Apple and that other culture is right for Amazon, but you could do that day one unless you knew what your strategy was, you know, all the way through. So it's a little, and then you kind of learn a little bit about what you like and what you don't like and these kinds of things. So I think you probably want to start it a little down the, you know, once you kind of get going and know where you're headed. But then I would say you would never cement it in the sense that cultures do need to change. They need to evolve. They need to adapt. And I think people get caught up in making the culture, you know, too much like the mission. And I think the culture is a little different. The culture has got to support uh, what you're doing as a company and an organization. And there's certain things that will last forever, but there's other things that you'll want to like kind of move around a bit. And with that, we'll be right back after this. Alexa here. Not only do I get the opportunity to speak with all types of founders on, for starters, but I'm a repeat founder myself. We all know how vital fundraising is to a startup. Carta knows this too. That's why they had founders in mind when they created their fundraising suite, providing tools and support to take the friction out of fundraising. They save founders time and money, allowing you to focus on your goals, not the admin work needed to close around. From simply issuing safes to quickly receiving funds, Carta Fundraising Suites helps their cap table customers raise a better fundraising round. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. 
So let's transition. I think culture is how companies are thriving or not thriving these days Mm -hmm. um, and probably should be forever. Let's dive into the book. So you went through four models of company culture and you started to mention a few of them, prison culture. Mm -hmm. Can you walk people through how you thought about those four models and why you pick them and give everybody a sense of kind of the the core narrative that went through what you were learning from the differences? And you went all the way back through history, all the way to modern. Um, Mm -hmm. Give everybody a sense of how you did that. You know, I've been working on... this problem for a very long time, kind of personally and in my head. So this is this is a little bit of a book I wrote for me. Um, you know, as CEO is the one thing I really felt like I never quite got entirely right, you know, when I was CEO. And so I did just like a lot of work trying to understand like, okay, what is culture? How do you move it? Um, how do you sustain it? And the things that were most influential on me were these four examples. And so the first one is, the story of Toussaint Louverture and the Haitian Revolution. And the Haitian Revolution is significant because it's the only successful slave revolt in human history. And if you think about that, you go, wow, like there's a lot of great motivation for slave revolts. They certainly had a lot of competent people over the years. You know, if you go back to the slaves of the Han Dynasty or, you know, on forward. And so, like, why did nobody succeed until this one revolt in Haiti, you know, which was San Domingo at the time? And it turns out that the big challenge you have if you're building a slave army to take down like a state actor is that slave culture is about the farthest thing from military culture that you can build because, you know, the, the founda- an important foundation of military culture is trust. And that's very hard to find in slave culture because trust is based on a long view in that I'm going to do something for you today because I trust that you're going to take care of me down the line. That's that's kind of the basis. And in slave culture, right, you don't even own your tomorrow. That's owned by your owner and they own your family and they can make them go away and they can make you go away. And, and you don't like collect any ownership or property or anything. You're just subject to that. And so you're coming from the zero trust culture. And then you have to go to military culture where like if you don't trust the order, you can't get anything done. And so the whole scalability of the operation, the kind of the execution of the operation is dependent on this thing that you don't have. And so the story of the Haitian Revolution, like how not only did Toussaint get to that, but he got to it, you know, he defeated Napoleon and Napoleon suffered more casualties against Toussaint than he did in Waterloo. So like that competent an army. And then beyond that, like the scalability of it, the uh, slave revolt at its peak had 500,000 people fighting. And just to give you an idea where slave revolts normally go, the largest one in the U.S. was 500 people. So, like, how did he change that culture into that culture? And you go through it, and it's an amazing set of things. And Toussaint was obsessed with culture. It was the focus of his whole life. He's, you know, starting with you know, Julius Caesar's military culture, which he studied greatly. Then he studied French colonial culture. Although he was a slave, he became the driver for the plantation owner, and he mastered that. He did things like incorporate French and Spanish soldiers into his own army in leadership positions to pick up some of that culture. He created rules and ethics that were completely shocking and something that you would never even think of having if you were coming from slavery. So all these things led to this amazing army that kind of won this revolution that you'd never expect. 
And so that was sort of example one. And then uh, example two is the way of the samurai. And the samurai is just amazing from a cultural perspective in that it's a culture that started in like 900 AD and has lasted like literally to today. If you go to Tokyo, like you see samurai culture everywhere. And wow. you go, well, like, how did they make it last so long? Like, what were the techniques? Like, how did that work? And then I go from there to prison culture. And, you know, and, and I learned, you know, a tremendous amount about it in doing it. But I, uh, a friend of mine, had Chaka Senghor, had been in prison for 19 years. And in that time, kind of rose through the ranks of prison from like an entry-level prisoner to running a very significant gang called the Melanics. And in doing that, the thing that, was so striking was that like, if you're dealing in Silicon Valley or wherever you start a company, you have people who are coming in with a lot of the cultural elements that you need. They're coming in with all the things that you want to have anyway. So you can get away with not doing that much, but in prison, people don't come in with the cultures that you need to run like a tight, loyal, organized operation. And so he goes through how you do that from day one and then, very interestingly, how do you change it? Because it actually ended up being a culture that he didn't want, not from like an effectiveness standpoint, but just from a sheer like violence standpoint. And so that uh, just turns out to be like a super interesting example. And then the fourth one, I call it Genghis Khan, Master of Inclusion. And uh, this one came from, you know, I, I've watched people do inclusion in, in kind of the business world and in Silicon Valley. And a lot of times, and I would say more than 90% of the time, the way they run their inclusion program create cultural issues. And the way they create cultural issues is in order to achieve their inclusion metrics, they look past the talent. They don't try and see who they're hiring. They just try to see their skin color or their gender or whatever. And so then when that person comes in, they have to face this issue that they went through the side door, the diversity door, as opposed to through the front door. And then it's hard to even work and be effective like in it because your culture is all screwed up because of your hiring policy. Yep. So I went back to Genghis Khan, who was amazing at like, you could be from a different Mongol tribe or you could be Chinese or you could be a, a Turk. And he would look through all of that and see like, what were you good at? What was your talent? Where were your skills? And they were all different than his. That was the remarkable thing. It wasn't what he had, it was what you had. And then once he made that kind of uh, hire, so to speak, you were all in to the point where he would adopt your kids into his own family. Like if there were orphan kids in that place where he was getting new talent, he would adopt them in. And that led him to a military strategy that nobody else could get to because nobody ha else had that notion of everybody being a first-class citizen and everybody being on equal footing. And that's what led him to basically conquer kind of more of the world than anybody had before or since. And so these are kind of the four examples of, you know, how you build, how you change, how you create a culture. First of all, it's really fun to get to see your face while you talk about this because you like <laughs> yeah. light up and I can just like see the thoughtfulness and research that you did. Mm -hmm. And clearly you had a ton of fun reading the book. And I love you um, kind of sharing that you decided to write it because you felt like it was really the one thing that you hadn't really mastered from your days as CEO. Important question, like through the work, what were the aha moments, the kind of practical takeaways where you said, 
God, like if every great CEO in the country could learn these two or three things, we could build a better world. Like what were your aha moments through this? Yeah, so, you, you know, that, that's a great question. You know, part of the challenge, I would say, though, with culture was um, the fact that you need to understand the gestalt to get to any specific technique. Like, that's one of the challenges. Like, it would have been very hard to write, here are the ABCs of culture. Um, you know, follow these three steps and you'll have a great culture. Yep. Like, you know, and if you think about what people do along those lines, it never works, right? It's like, oh, get everybody together in an offsite. Sit around with your leaders decide what values you have, you know, put them into your performance reviews. None of that works. Like everybody knows none of that works. People do it, doesn't work. Um, so <laughs> I, I want to be a little careful about not like um, sharing the silver bullet. But so one gigantic aha uh, was on uh, the prison chapter. Shaka saying to me, he's like, Ben, and then you have to remember, like Shaka went to jail for murder, um, was there 19 years, seven years in solitary confinement. He did commit the murder too. Like he wasn't, it wasn't an innocent thing. And so his first day in prison, he's in quarantine, which is kind of where they put you before you let in. Then he and like six other guys get let in. And I have to, it's a prison story, so I'm going to have to use some profanity. Go for Is it. Okay? Go, go, totally okay. fine. Go for it. Also, <laughs> like everyone wants to hear your prison story, so we're dying to hear. <laughs> so first day in prison, so they're in the kind of rec area, and a prisoner walks up to another prisoner and stabs him in the neck with a shank and then pulls the shank out. The guy bleeds to death, dies. The prisoner with the shank throws it in the trash, walks over to the mess hall and has a sandwich. And Shaka says to me, we all look at each other like, where in the fuck are we at? And then I had to ask myself the question, could I do that? And I said, wait a minute, Shaka, you killed a guy to get in here. Of course you could do that. He's like, no, 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 I couldn't do that. He said, let me tell you what I did. I'm like 19 years old. It's a drug deal. The guy like jumps out of the car, super hostile at me. I had a gun in my pocket. I reacted. I shot him. That's what I did. This guy took a two liter bottle, filed it into a weapon, decided, was I going to kill this guy or wound him? Am I going to stab him in the gut or stab him in the neck? Stabs him in the neck and then keeps it moving to the chow hall and has a sandwich. He's like, I couldn't do that. And I had to ask myself, could I do that? Because that's what you needed to do to survive here. And the aha for me was like, oh, my God, that happens in a company. Every time somebody comes to work at your company, they look at who's successful and they say, can I do that? Can I behave like that? Can I pick up that culture? Because that's what you need to do to win here. And most CEOs never ask themselves, what is that? What is that thing that they're going to imitate? how are they coming into my company? Because that's my culture. It's not my damn values. It's that. It's that. So that was a big aha. Yeah, I'm nodding profusely because that's exactly right. Yeah. It's it's what do you yeah. have to do to get ahead? And whatever behavior is yeah. rewarded is actually the core culture of what keeps people working. Yeah. And in Shaka's case, it's a very violent culture, but uh, you know, that was a <laughs> part of it. So uh, on that note, as you were kind of thinking about culture, I'm going to ask you a big question here, Ben. As you think about just like American society right now, uh, mm -hmm. what tips did you learn on culture that you think could just be helpful for everyone that's listening as we think about just the culture of our country? And we're, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, we're trying to build better communities everywhere. And while um, we're not the CEO of the country, how do you think about that outside of even company walls, but our, our United States? First, I would just say 
that question's a little above my pay grade and that I think that the book, like I, I feel like I understand kind of how to scale a company and so forth. It's a little hard on a society. Although there was one kind of interesting insight that I got. So I got it from two different people. So, you know, my friend Michael Ovitz worked for a time at Disney, as did uh, my other friend Bob Iger before he became CEO. And one of the things they both said to me is like, you know, there's the culture of everybody's on the same team and we're all doing this together. And that's just kind of like a basic thing, like, you know, arrows outside the tent, all that kind of thing. But it's like some people do run their company cultures in a different way, which is they run teams against each other, right? Like they have two people work on the exact same thing and see how it and goes. See who and survives. it's like, you know, like that can be effective, but you get a culture that's very difficult to work in because it's so political. People are going after each other. You know, you always have to watch your back at work, that kind of thing. And I would just say, um, without trying to point fingers, that's a lot where our country has gone. It just feels like we've been pitted against each other and, you know, people have fallen. And the people who I think feel most righteous in the country today are the ones who are essentially you would call the most political and devious in a company and that they're personally attacking people on like very little basis to boost their own status, which is kind of what happens in a company. And I think that, you know, on, on both sides, of course. And anyway, but but I think it's a it's a manifestation of a very difficult cultural construct. I love that. Um, and also, I, I love that I, I force you to apply it to just like, you know, solving world peace. I do think that these lessons can be applied outside of um, entrepreneurship and outside of companies as we think about just building bridges and creating healthy, harmonious organizations of people. So I, I want to shift to you and just what makes you so special. So first, one thing I uh, admire from afar about you is you're a, a great family man. You uh, are a wonderful, uh, positive person. I want to just quickly um, talk through right now, one, just are there two or three rules that you live by, and it can be anything, health, fitness, wellness, mental wellness, sleep, any regimes, any <laughs> protocols that you have that you think have really helped make you tick and function well? Well, that's a good question. You know, I don't have a great like Ben Franklin type uh, <laughs> personal philosophy. You know, I do try to get enough sleep. I think that helps. Look, I, a lot of it, you know, just in, in terms of how I am personally gets more into like, do you really understand uh, the people that you're talking to? And there, there's this actually new term that I've heard, which is the ideological Turing test. And um, I really like it because, you know, the Turing test is this test that Alan Turing came up with. Like, can you tell if it's a yeah, computer course. or a human? And if you could talk to it and you don't know, then like it passes the Turing test. And the ideological Turing test is, well, can you articulate the other person's point of view in a way that they would agree with? And if you can't, you're not even like being human at that. You're just like a robot who's been brainwashed on like some doctrine or or what have you. And I, I find like applying that, it's hard to do. It's actually harder to do than one might think because you know, you don't know what they know. And I think that's on everything. It's true on business and so forth. Like a lot of times, you know, I see people like, in the venture capital game, and you see it too, I'm sure, just will like crap all over somebody's company and they don't really know anything about the company. You know, they might hear one thing that it lost a deal or is losing money or, or whatever, and then all of a sudden they're the expert and they give an authoritative critique of the thing. And I think that it's hard to learn when you have that attitude. So I, I, try, I try not to do it. You know, it's always, you're always striving 
um, to be the person you want to be. You're never quite the person you want to be. I love it. That is great. And I, I do like to think that we can exist in venture from like a very positive, collaborative, community oriented way. So we'll see. But I, I'm always grateful that New York City is very like that. Yeah. Okay. So uh, if you have a Sunday night and you're really excited about your week, so none yeah. of the like, you know, red wine, Sunday scaries vibes, but like actually really looking forward <laughs> to like the, the week ahead, yeah. what's happening in your week? What kind of meeting or what is going on where you're lit up inside and really fired up? Yeah, well, things I really like to do, you know, most of all is like, so if it's a week where like I'm spending a lot of time with entrepreneurs, kind of both. And what I do at the firm is I'll spend a lot of time with not just people who I'm on the board of, but like other entrepreneurs in the portfolio and not so much at a board meeting, but just you know, having a conversation or, or going to dinner or something like that, understanding what they're trying to do, how they're going about it, what problems they're having, like that type of stuff is very, very exciting for me. I also like, you know, one of the things we do at the firm is we try a lot to marry the world of cultural influence with the kind of world of technology. And I love working on that stuff, you know. So, you know, we and a lot of my friends kind of were on the cultural influence side, like, you know, my friend Nas and my friend Quincy Jones and Kevin Durant. And I like spending time with them because I just learn different things and they they it's almost like they see the world through a very different prism than we see it here. And so understanding how they're thinking about it and then connecting them to, you know, one of our entrepreneurs is really interesting. And then we have entrepreneurs like Steve Stout who live in both worlds and, you know, talk to him about that kind of thing is fun. So all, all those kinds of things are probably things that are most exciting to me. I mean, I do like, of course, looking at all the new technologies and the things that are people are coming out with is uh, super interesting. But the thing I probably get most excited about is helping people build companies. I love it. And I feel the same way. So I, I think we're definitely kindred yeah. spirits in that. Last few yeah. questions here. So given culture, given that you care so much about people, you know that you build companies brick by brick, person by person. Um, is there a favorite interview question or two that you just love that you feel like really gets to the core of something that really matters? Uh, you know, when, uh, I, I do love, uh, you know, Peter Thiel had this question is, which was, what do you believe that nobody else does? I really love that question. Cause it's, uh, cause it's one you can't really prepare for cause it messes with your psychology. Cause you know, that the person asking the question isn't going to agree with you on that. So I think that, you know, that one is always kind of awesome. Um, I don't know. That's a good question. I'm a little off guard. I'm not sure exactly. No, that was a great uh, what one. I would ask in an interview. Yeah, that was a one, uh, an amazing one. Yeah. Um, one of the other ones I I learned that I really love is on a scale from one to ten, how lucky are you? And it almost yeah. helps orient just how positive and how optimistic yeah. somebody is. So I uh, I want to just uh, last question here. So if there's one startup that everybody should know about that's really really early um, that you're excited about, what would it be? So, well, on the early side, I'll, you know, I'm, I'll uh, kind of talk my own game since they're the ones I know the best. But the you know, two that I love to death are um, Databricks, which is uh, that's a little further along. But I, I just love the CEO. He's an amazing guy. He was a refugee um, and he's just built quite an amazing company. And then on the new side, I, I, uh, I'm on the board of this company that just launched themselves called Sisu, which has got this, it's almost like a magic product. You don't see these magical products in enterprise that often anymore, but um, 
This one is like, literally, you go like, here's all my data, and here are my KPIs, and I want to know why this KPI is going down. And it goes, this is why. <laughs> and I'm just like, how how they do that? Uh, so it's, it's pretty neat. That's amazing. Well, Ben, thank you so much for joining us today. Everybody out there listening, Ben Horowitz, an incredible entrepreneur, investor, friend to entrepreneurs. And if you want to learn more, um, check out his brand new book, What You Do Is Who You Are. And please join us next week for Inc. The Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel. And thank you so much for joining us today, Ben. Okay, now thank you, Alexa. This was, this was fun. <laughs> Thank you all for listening. You can subscribe to Inks The Founders Project with Alexa Montobel wherever your podcasts are offered.